Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by managing editor James Kleiman to talk about how LOs, iBuyers, and Power Buyers are adapting to this market. First, let's hear from our sponsor. Since 2015, Finance of America Mortgage and their skilled, award-winning mortgage advisors have helped over 450,000 customers, closing more than $134 billion in loan volume. Licensed in all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, Finance of America Mortgage is backed by best-in-class lending technology and a wide range of innovative mortgage products that can help turn any borrower into a customer for life. Want to join an award-winning team and elevate your business? Visit www.joinfamtoday.com forward slash housing wire to learn more. Finance of America Mortgage LLC is licensed nationwide. Equal housing opportunity. NMLS ID number 1071. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Equal opportunity employer. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be with you, Sarah. Great to be with you. I know, as always, there's a ton of news. So so let's jump in. Big news this week was obviously kicked off um, by the Federal Reserve, which went ahead and did a 75 basis point hike as expected, but not that that, you know, even though it was expected, doesn't mean that it's uh, it was welcomed. We're looking at 75 basis points in this past September meeting, and then we're looking at another 75 basis points in the upcoming meeting, and um, and that's in early November. And then we're going to look at probably another 50 uh, after that the following month, and then we're looking at maybe 25 uh, right after that in 2023. So uh, it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. And, um, and and that's certainly true for the housing market, which, you know, the, these actions from the Fed really um, hit hardest, I would say, you know, because when you're the Fed, everything's a nail, right? So um, it's it's going to be pretty bad news for a lot of people in the industries that we cover, housing, housing finance, all that, um, because we're, we're sort of at a standstill. You know, it's, it's working in, in the respect that the Fed is, in fact, slowing the growth of the housing market. It happens unequally, you know. It doesn't happen all at once to the same, um, you know, stakeholders. But it, uh, you know, the, the aggressive interest rate hike is definitely sapping some of the, the strength from this market, and uh, it's affecting LOs, real estate agents, people entitled, people in appraisal. I mean, you go up and down the list of uh, of kind of the core stakeholders, and, and they're all really honestly getting battered. They really are. I'm so I am at the New England Mortgage Bankers Conference, which has been great. It's all the um, state associations of the Mortgage Bankers Association, really great group of people. And I was in the room yesterday, they were live streaming the, um, the Fed's announcement and then the Q&A afterwards in a, in a, in a ballroom full of mortgage bankers. And you know, I mean, that is just not good news for them at all. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad, uh, but but it does affect different markets unequally. And so, if you look at, for example, closed sales, right? And, and closed sales are really important because none of these people we talk about get paid unless the deal closes. And um, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of really interesting trends that have materialized of late. So, look look at certain markets, right? So, if I look at um, closed sales data from Illinois in August of twenty twenty two. We're looking at about a 19% decline year over year. Miami, one of the hottest bubble markets 
uh, as some people call it, down 22% in, um, in, in overall closed sales from August of 2021. And, and the same goes up and down the list. If you look at San Diego, you look at Santa Clara, you look at Washington, D.C., you know, we're all looking at about 25% or more year over year in the decline in sales. But what's really interesting is if you look at other markets. So um, let's take Austin, for an example. You know, people kind of commonly think of Austin as like the bubble market because, you know, a, a lot of a lot of folk in tech ran over there uh, to escape San Francisco uh, during the pandemic. And what we're seeing is true to pretty much every market, a big drop in sales. But what's really interesting is prices are not dropping. Prices are still rising in Austin. They're not rising as much as they did before, but it's still getting bigger. And then you add to the fact that there are, I don't know how many people, it's something like somewhere around 80% of current people with mortgages, mortgage borrowers are below 4%. And so that's really where you're looking at dampened activity. There's just no incentive for a lot of people who are on fixed rates, you know, under 4% to move. And and so, you know, you have what, 90% of households that have mortgage rates, um, you know, they, they just, they don't have to sell. They're, they're in no position unless they lose their job, which, you know, the Fed actions may eventually cause, uh, depending on the industries they're in. Um, and, and that is, you know, certainly one of the reasons that they're doing what they're doing um, is to cool down these housing markets. But if you're in Austin and you're a buyer, you know, you're looking at mortgage rates that have doubled. You're looking at home prices that are still up, you know, 10 points maybe more, depending on where you're looking to buy. Um, so there's no relief and there's no relief coming. And and what's also interesting is we're not seeing a lot of people jump to adjustable rate mortgages, which which a lot of folk in the industry really thought was going to happen. And it's really not, you know, it's, I don't know if it's a marketing issue or if it's just fear, but people are not jumping in arms right now. So yeah, it's, it's just, things are kind of at a standstill. You know, one of the things I thought was uh, really helpful, Dave Stevens, who used to be the um, uh, CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, also FHA commissioner, he's been at the GSEs, he's been everywhere. Um, he was at one of the speakers at this conference. And his whole talk was like, yeah, it, it's it's getting bad. And this winter is going to be worse. But the whole focus of his talk was like, 6% historically is still really low. It's just the recency of having, you know, 2%, whatever, 2.5 or 2.75 that, you know, has skewed everybody's perception, right? And and definitely if you're a homeowner and you have locked in that, that low rate, that's why we talk about a mortgage rate lockdown, because to your point, they don't have a lot of incentive. But he was like, you know, when it comes to, you know, helping people get into homes now, which this audience is, you know, a lot of LOs, a lot of... um uh, execs of mortgage companies, he's like, you know, 6% should not be, should not deter you or deter them. And he had some really great points about that, about, um, you know, still the the benefits of homeownership versus renting, for instance, is still so incredible. And, and more so now because, you know, you get the mortgage interest tax, you get all these things still and, and rents are just rising. So in an inflationary environment, if you have a fixed low debt cost, you're in much better shape 
than you are if you're in, you know, if you're renting. And he was talking about like, you know, listen, we've been through this before we can do this. And it was, you know, it was, a, it was meant to encourage people, which it did. But also, I mean, he didn't shy away from the very real effects of this. And, you know, what I've heard around the around the tables and the, in the conversations is most people they've, they've been through this before. They're like, Oh yeah, we've, you know, we've done this before. We'll get through it. And, um, and, you know, we hope, we hope that's true. We know that there's a lot, um, that's going on. It's about to break. Right. I mean, he talked about right sizing and how really this is the way that we can, one of the parts of his talk was like, how do you get back to having margin, making your margins, uh, making any money. Right. And you can do that in a low volume environment, but you've got to really get tight on your right sizing. So, yeah. And, and let's not beat around the bush. It means layoffs, right? It's yeah, right sizing it is, is not only, you know, shedding contracts and renegotiating with vendors and, and working up new, new IT uh, platforms and, and what have you. It is, it is generally, you know, the biggest cost for almost every company is going to be in personnel. And what we're seeing across the board is basically everyone is looking to shed capacity. And um, it's going to affect some more than others. You know, not everybody's going to need to drop personnel by 50%, um, but it's going to happen to a lot of people. And, and depending on who you ask, you know, the predictions for where we are headcount wise today uh, versus where we'll be in six months could be down 30, 40%. Um, there's just not a lot of business. You know, even if somebody as a, as a prospective borrower could, let's say, swing a mortgage at six, two, six, three, six, four, um, and refi in two years, three years, whatever it is, a lot of people just don't want to, or their DTIs mean that they can't qualify for the home that maybe does work for their family right now. And, and so it's, you know, combined with the fact that most sellers just don't need to sell. Um, and, and I think you're just going to see a lot of people that are going to have to make those tough choices and, and figure out where to cut. Uh, not a question of cutting. Cutting will happen. It is inevitable. There is no other way um, to to keep you know either losses as as low as possible or profitability if you can do it. But you just hope that it's not to the bone, right? And and the other interesting thing here is you know we we saw a report from from Stratmore Group uh, not too long ago, and and they looked at M and A activity, and you know they they look back at. 18, 19, you know, not, not so far in the distant past um, when things were also not so great, you know, and there were, there were big layoffs, there were cuts, margins took a big hit and, you know, they're, they're looking at um, does this relate to merger and acquisition activity? And so in 2018, 2019, they had 58 M&A deals in the mortgage industry that were completed in that two-year period. And, and through this year, through August, they've only had 17 deals completed. And, and um, you know, what they have seen in the past 12 months, though, is a big uh, spike in conversations that they're having with their M&A advisory business because a lot of people just, they don't want to take the losses. They can't take the losses. Their investors will not permit them to take those losses. And so... You know, we, we know that there's going to be a, a good size merger happening tomorrow in the non-bank world on Friday. Um, we're, we're expecting quite a few more. You know, we've already had Caliber New Res, right? That's probably the biggest one out there. Um, but it's it's only going to continue, you know, the worse this gets. Um, and, and famously, right, as they say, the lawyers always make money. So if you're an M&A lawyer, uh, I think you're probably sleeping pretty easy these days. 
Well, let's talk about some. So Connie Kim had a great story um, this week about how LOs are dealing with a mortgage rate lockdown. Like, what are some of the things they're doing? What are what are some of the ways that they're trying to figure out how to make money in this in, in this downturn? So love to have you outline some of those. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's really tough for LOs who are, you know, they're accustomed to down markets. They're accustomed to, uh, you know, the, the phenomenon of 2020, 2021. They're more accustomed than anything to a little bit of both, right? You know, kind of a standard market where rates are stable and people buy and sell as they would in a normal marketplace. These are not normal times. And, you know, there are a lot of fellows who are going to wash out. It's not a very nice term for it, but people who just will not be able to close deals, who don't have the contacts with real estate agents, or maybe their real estate agents just you know, themselves aren't getting a lot of deals to, to feed to them or, or whatever. But, you know, we, we know that activity is going to drop significantly and, and, you know, the rate hikes are going to continue. And so mortgage rates could be in the sevens uh, when, you know, it's all said and done. And, and so your normal book of business, not, not as much of it as there used to be, just the reality, right? You go from, let's say, 60 deals a, a month that you were accustomed to, now you might get two, you know, and they're not going to be your your standard Fannie Freddie purchase loans that, you know, let's say they're 500K, depending on where you are. Um, and you can, you know, make do even if business is a little worse. Now we're talking about, you know, somebody who's doing like a construction loan on one day and then uh, a vacant lot on another. And then, you know, maybe uh, if, if they're lucky, they're going to try to get a non-QM deal across the finish line. Later that month, um, I mean, they are scrapping, they are scrounging. Some LOs who Connie spoke with said, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at at really trying to get more into non-QM. I don't know if the lenders that are, you know, originating these loans are even going to be around, you know, by the time we're ready to get to market. Um, or others are talking about trying to get into reverse mortgages because we know that, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks have quite a bit of equity and, the general demographics are favorable for reverse mortgage products these days or home equity products. You know, I'm hearing a lot of LOs who are really trying to take advantage of the fact that a lot of people now can make home improvements. They can get them at, you know, relatively competitive rates compared to the amount of value they could put back in their home of say they get a new kitchen or maybe they add a deck or, you know, add, add a, a bonus room or what have you. Um, so, so th- those are all the ways that they're trying to get by. Um, some are even looking at, you know, getting uh, licenses in other states, um, following their real estate clients. So um, it's it's varied. You know, it, there there is no template, there is no approach that's going to work for everybody. Uh, but these are sales pros, and you know, either they'll hack it or they won't. And it's not a forgiving industry. You either make money or you don't. And it's it's. You know, it's a zero-sum game. Like somebody either buys or sells the house and you either, you know, work the loan or you didn't. And um, and if you didn't, you don't you don't get paid. So um, these are really tough times. And I, I am really interested to see what happens if these rates do keep climbing and sellers aren't, you know, price slashing as aggressively as they need to be to make it financially viable for the buyer pool. That's really um, been a big topic of conversation at this conference is like, you know, 
people who don't think about the housing market like we do constantly, you know, they're still, they still have the script in their head. It's like, oh, I'm going to have 25 offers. It's like, yeah, probably not. And also, you know, um, I mean, days on market are still pretty low. I think they're they're up from 16 to 17 this month or something like that. Still very, very low. But that's, you know, if it's if it's priced right, it's going fast. If it's not priced right, it's it's sitting. You know, I, I think that's always true. But in the last two years, I think even if you didn't have it priced right, someone's going to bite probably. Um, so I guess in that case, it is priced right. But now, you know, just that that calculus of what you should be asking, what the listing price is, is so important. Yeah. And, and we're not really seeing new inventory come online. You know, it's not like my neighbor decided, hey, you know what, I, I think I can finally get the 350k for the house that I, I thought it's been worth for the last two years. It's <laughs> more often, it's it's actually somebody who's had their house listed for, you know, a month, maybe longer, and decided, you know what, I don't need to sell. I'm not under the gun. I don't have to do it. Or they're just letting it sit there and figuring, you know, I mean, demand is still there. It's not like people decided because mortgage rates rose that they don't want to buy a house. Um, so you only need one person, right? It doesn't take a lot of interest to sell that house. But what we are seeing is is just a lot of not much happening, if, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. Yeah, you know, um, one of the one of the things that's come up in several presentations over the last couple of days is just that demographic wave that is just now. I mean, just started a couple of years ago, hitting their peak home buying age. And if you look at the, um, our our lead analyst Logan Motoshami shares a chart a lot that shows this big thing. But I saw a chart today that actually it it breaks it down into that demographic's actual age. And if you look at it, so thirty three is now the average age of when people buy a home. And if you look at it from the last couple of years, that's been going up. But from here uh, for the next four years, it, it continues to climb. That number of people who are 33 is just getting bigger. And so you think, well, some of those people, you know, they've, they've been wanting to buy. They're maybe priced out right now. At whatever point rates come down even a little bit or prices fall and affordability gets gets better, I think you're going to have another situation where we're going to have a lot of people and still not a lot of inventory because nothing nothing that we see right now says in the next two, three years, even four or five years, that we're going to have a ton more in, uh, inventory. And if all those people are 33, um, not all of them, but but the people coming into peak home buying age, you, you assume they haven't bought a house before. So they're not listing a house to buy a house. They're just coming in without putting any more inventory in the market. So I, I just think the inventory problem is going to get worse. And there's not a really good solution for that. Yeah, there there will be some, right? Like life always happens. There are going to be people who get married and, and uh, you know, trade up or, you know, people who have babies or, you know, and on another note, people die, right? It does happen. Uh, and, um, and, and so there's always going to be some natural, you know, but, but is it going to keep pace with, with the demand? No. Um, and, and so much of this really comes down to, did you get lucky when you graduated college you know, did you get lucky when, when you got that first job that paid you real money? You know, like my first job was in Burlington, Vermont. And I, I mean, I was no joke on food stamps. Like I, I made like low 20s in 2008, 2009, you know. And so if I'd graduated two years prior, uh, probably would have been a lot better. And so there are so many people who kind of follow that. just this is when when you uh you know, kind of came of age. And, um, 
And so if, if you were ready to buy a house, but you maybe you lost a few competitive bidding situations in 2020, 2021, and you thought, well, surely home prices are going to come down. I'll wait it out. Um, but now you have mortgage rates in the sixes, maybe sevens, like that's just part of it's just bad luck, right? You know, demographics and, and we don't all, you know, I, my parents are geniuses because, you know, they were able to, to buy a house in 1995 for $230,000 that they could sell for three times that, you know, like they weren't some, you know, you know, incredible predictors of the market, you know, they mostly got lucky. Um, and, and so there's going to be some inventory that comes on, but a demand for people who are in their thirties, their forties is not going to go away. And there's pretty much no scenario in which we see inventory meet that demand over the next five years. You know, maybe we'll see more multifamily uh, completions. We'll see more apartments. We'll see, you know, maybe, maybe more condos uh, because that is still a product that is in demand, maybe more townhouse formations, but you know, we, we still have the fundamental problems of there's a lot of nimbyism. There are a lot of permitting issues. There are a lot of uh, disincentives for, uh, multifamily firms for building in certain places right now, um, you know whether it's because of political or or other reasons, it's not easy and it takes a while and it's just it's really tough if you just weren't able to buy that house in twenty 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 one, you you missed out and then there's there's not much more you can say about it. There really isn't. I, I think when I first joined Housing Wire in 2013, there were a lot of people like you who kind of graduated into the uh, great financial crisis. And it was like, you know, good luck. So, you know, a lot of them went back to school because they, they couldn't um, really get a job. Um, just those like 2008, 2009, 2010, really rough for people graduating at that time. And then you think about, you know, if they went back and, and got more debt or went back to graduate school or whatever, but it feels, I, I definitely agree with you that there are, there are times when, um, you know, demographically you just get lucky. Yeah. We have lots of other things going on just besides the economic news. Uh, we had a former HUD official convicted of falsifying records. We've got, um, you know, all sorts of things going on. What, what else would you highlight? So uh, we, we decided after the Fed rate hike, which we all kind of expected would be about 75 basis points. Although, I mean, I heard rumblings that it might even be 100 basis points. It didn't happen, of course. But, um, but we wanted to really take a closer look at uh, what this means for the LOs, what this means for the real estate agents who deal with this in real time. You know, for me, it's an abstraction in some ways because I am I am not in a position where I have to convince someone to buy a house at six five or six six or you know what whatever when you add the APR to it. So Connie Kim has a, a kind of a, a deeper dive into what are we looking at for the LO. Um, and for the real estate agent in terms of the everyday, the Fed high trades, what about right now? What, what does this mean for people? And, um, and then we have another kind of companion story looking at what sort of the rate target looks like over the next few months. And, uh, and then another uh, interesting entity out there that's been in the news, a lot of bad headlines, has been Open Door. And so Open Door, you know, the headline came out on Bloomberg and it was something to the effect of Open Door lost money on 42% of their sales in August. And, um, you know, you could just as easily say somehow Open Door made money on almost 60% of their sales in August, which would be, I think, just as fair a characterization. But um, 
we, we did a bit more of a deep dive into what is Open Door's risk management strategy. They are at this point basically the only very large scale iBuyer out there. And they have a lot of homes, they have a lot of inventory, um, they have a lot of new products and new initiatives that they are launching because I, I think they, they definitely did predict that there would be a slump in the second half of the year, um, but maybe didn't anticipate the sharpness of the decline. And, and a lot of that is precipitated by that big rate spike in June, right? Remember when the Fed last um, started making uh, you know 75 basis point moves. And so we, we wanted to, to really zero in on what are their options? How big a threat is this housing market downturn? If you're an iBuyer and your business model is basically you buy, you sell, you buy, you sell. It's not you buy, you hold, you wait, you see how things are, you read the tea leaves, and then in a year you sell. It's, that's not the model. And um, and so, spoiler, I think you should all read it, but nobody really thinks Open Door is going to go out of business anytime soon. But um, there's a lot more nuance in there, so I would encourage everyone to uh, to read it. It's on Bill Trends. That's a great story. Um, also, I'd point out that um, we had a story on power buyers and how they're forced to adapt in the slumping housing market. And I, I guess uh, power buyers and I buyers are. What would you say the distinction is there? Well, the the power buyer is not really buying the asset to sell it. It's it's really kind of a functional financing middleman. And a lot of the I buyers do offer similar programs. Um, you know, everyone is trying to get into the financing part of the equation. And so, you know, everyone from Zillow to real estate brokerages and and sort of these newfangled um, vertically integrated real estate firms that are, you know, trying to position themselves as um, sort of a kind of an all purpose real estate um, company, you know, doing everything, you know, handling title, handling um, the, the kind of agency side of it, handling the financing part of it. Um, but, you know, power buyers, I generally think of as, let's say, Sarah, you want to buy a home and um, you're still in a, a competitive market and you're potentially looking at a multiple offer situation and you suspect that maybe some of the other offers are going to be cash, which means you're at a disadvantage with the sale. And so you turn to me and I say, hey, Sarah, no problem. I am happy to lend you that $500,000 that you need uh, to close that deal in cash. And in fact, I'll buy it if you want. And I'm going to charge you 2%, maybe 3%. And now you have that home and then you can get traditional financing through your lender of choice or maybe the lender that I've partnered with in a local market. I mean, they're, they're basically like bridge lenders in some ways. They do have other products. You know, they, they have kind of buy now, sell later options. They, they have, you know, a whole slew of, of different initiatives because, I mean, how many people right now are looking at multiple bid situations? There's just not as much uh, business to be had for that kind of model. And so if they don't adapt, they're an expensive bridge lender, you know, like who, who needs that right now? So, you know, a lot of them are, are heavily capitalized. They have big, big lines of credit. They have a lot of venture capital uh, debt and, and um, you know, traditional VC funding, but they're in kind of a, kind of a moment where it's unlikely that, more than a few of them will succeed and have uh, a product that can scale that that you know operationally makes sense for agents and um, and and home buyers and home sellers as well. So you know it's still early for the power buyers, but 
some of them will definitely, you know, bite the dust and some of them will succeed. So we're, we're keeping a close eye on what happens there. And, uh, and, and Brooklyn Han did, did a really interesting uh, report, you know, a lot of good expert analysis from people who study this space very closely and, and can, can soberly say um, there's some red flags here, but there are also a lot of opportunities because, you know, the housing market is, um, is still very much um, what a big industry and anybody's game, you know, nobody is, has huge market share in any facet of it. You know, you look at the biggest brokerage, you look at the biggest real estate title company, maybe not a great example, but the uh, biggest appraisal firm, the biggest uh, mortgage company. And, and like nobody is the Coca-Cola of the real estate industry. So there, there's still a lot of business to be won. In the middle of all that, Zillow comes in with a cash buying program, which, you know, is is really interesting. So Zillow, you know, famously flamed out um, on their iBuying program. So this is different for sure. To, to your point, it seems more like a financing option. But tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, so Zillow is basically launching another cash-backed offers program. Um, they are testing it in two markets. It is Zillow's cash that they are going to be using. And, and of course, you know, Zillow has... Um, lines of credit. It, it is not. It is not Rich Barton's personal stash of money hidden under the couch somewhere. Um, but but you know Zillow still does have a pretty strong cash position, and they are testing this in two different markets. And uh, my family lives in one of them in uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, you know it's it's really another way for Zillow to try to get in on that transaction. You know we talk about it's a a really important term for the industry, the attach rate, which is, you know, something that home builders are great with, which is if somebody is closing on a mortgage, you want to attach to that buyer and work with them, you know, in a, in a great world, 70, 80% of the time in an iBuyer world, you know, we're, we're looking at like single digits in power buyer world, you know, again, probably single digits. And so Zillow wants to break that mold and work and incentivize both the real estate agent side of things and the home buyer by using them as a, as, as a financer instead of going with a traditional mortgage company. And, um, you know, again, it's still a pilot program. Zillow has not um, done a ton of business is, is my understanding. And, um, you know, I, I think what's, what's interesting here is they are very much beyond the iBuying game, but they are still in the home uh, selling game, you know, and Zillow still has the widest audience of, of um, eyeballs, you know, people famously browse for Zillow when they can't afford, you know, a pop to piss in, right. You know, people always turn to Zillow and, and even in New York where I live, you know, it's a Zillow owned property that is the de facto multiple listing service, which is street easy. And, and I got to tell you, it's a good user experience. You know, Zillow is very good at this and they have a very mixed relationship with uh, real estate agents. I think in some ways they're trying to repair that. And by providing guarantees to the agents, um, you know, that, that the deal is going to close um, that's one way to, to help kind of win business with agents. So, you know, a, a buyer in Raleigh or Denver purchasing a single family home or kind of like a townhouse like property costing up to $750,000 can use this product and, and basically 
the way it works is from the date of the closing, the home buyers have, I think it's 90 days to secure financing. And when the financing does fall through, for whatever reason, Zillow is going to step in, they'll purchase the home, and the client then has another 90 days to repurchase the home. Now, if the home buyer is still unable to secure financing after, say, the, ni- the second 90-day period, let's say they lose a job or what have you, uh, Zillow then will resell the home on the market. So it's not properly eye-buying, but it is getting to more familiar uh, waters. And um, and on the buyer side, you know, it, it works. So if let's say I'm a buyer, Sarah, and, and I can still work with whatever lender I want, um, but that means a service fee for using the Zillow-backed offer is 2.5%. But if I use Zillow Home Loans, Zillow's basically mortgage arm, it's 0.5%, 50 basis points that is charged. So they're, they're trying to incentivize pretty much everyone um, and using their cash position to do it. They're not the only firm, you know, doing this sort of work, um, but Zillow definitely has the most brand recognition among consumers. And if they can convince real estate agents that they're not, you know, <laughs> they're not the enemy who's, who's uh, you know, trying to make money off them through, through, you know, premier agent programs, this could be a big win for them. Could be. And I mean, I can only imagine that they, after the iBuying experience, that they are putting in a lot of uh, different holds or, or just, you know, looking at these very carefully as far as like the buyer and the house, it, it, do they want to own the house? I would think that they have a lot of backstops in place now to make sure that they're not left with a bunch of inventory they don't want. Yeah. And, and I, I think, again, it's a pilot program. So the risk right now is is pretty small if they open it up to everybody and, and somehow they, they do have a really strong cash position. Um, Zillow is still a very big firm. And, um, you know, I, I don't think this would be a problem. And, and keep in mind, also, they have a partnership now with Open Door, which is pretty interesting. And Open Door is doing a lot of really innovative stuff on, on uh, kind of the home selling front. So um, this is going to remain a really exciting space, maybe not um, the best financially for the next year or two, because it's a really small margin business. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of people out there who have a lot of money and don't think that the traditional real estate buying or selling experience is efficient or worth the money that they have to pay into it. There are a lot of people who say, you know what, does that real estate agent really deserve that much money on a commission? And, um, and, and we'll see if, if that does break down over the next few years, but um, certainly Zillow and open door and, and a lot of these power buyers and venture back companies are thinking about ways to, um, you know, make big changes. Well, we've got innovations across the spectrum. So we have Ellos adapting and innovating and what can they do, even getting new licenses, looking at new areas. And we have the companies themselves, whether they're iBuyers, Power Buyers, however you want to uh, categorize Zillow, um, doing that as well. So this is scrappy market. I think you said it best um, at the beginning that you know people have to scrounge right now. But those who can figure out a way are going to be in a great position after you have a lot of other people kind of culled out. Yep, people are going to wash out, and uh, as they say, the strong survive. Or, or it, I, I never remember if it's a David Attenborough quote or if it's Jurassic Park, but uh, nature finds a way. <laughs> Either way, is both are appropriate there. Well, James, thanks so much. Your uh, newsroom is doing a great job covering this, um, covering this eight, this industry at a time when things are are rough and also changing fast. I mean, it feels like every day. So, 
Thank you so much. We'll have you on again soon. All right. Thanks very much. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.